And welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes, joined today, as usual, by Dave DeFore, who joins me from San Antonio. And before I want to get into kind of the current state of the Pacers, what we've seen as they've returned from a two-game road trip to New York and then Toronto, uh, Dave, we were both at All-Star Weekend. We both froze our butts off. I, I got a little bit sick. I think you recorded about seven podcasts per day, but we didn't make time for ourselves. So in part, this podcast is a little bit of catching up and sharing our, our thoughts from a fun weekend in Chicago. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we were both pleasantly surprised by uh, Demonis Sabonis in the skills competition. How about those bigs, man? Dominated. Those two, Bam Adebayo and Domas, both had the two worst odds to do the thing and win it, and they finished 1-2 with Bam just edging Domas because of that three-point shot. Yeah, and, and then, you know, again, those guys had, like, the two lowest odds coming into it. I actually thought Sabonis would struggle a little bit in open cut, uh, open court dribbling, but the fact that he was like, actually hitting shots and then, you know, his passing was just on point. Like, so he never missed the, the opening pass. Uh, yeah, and I was, that was I was that, surprised. that was the thing he was most concerned about, he said afterward, was that pass, and he was three for three on that. The thing I was rightfully uh, concerned about for him was the three-point shot. Not because he's bad, but he's nothing special. And so it took him at least two or three times um, to make it the first couple times. Then ultimately, I think he got three attempts up in the final round, but then Bam made the next one and beat him to it. But it was the three-point shot that cost him, not the dribbling and, and certainly not the passing. Yeah, absolutely. That was a fun weekend. I thought we we sat next to each other um, for the two night event, and uh, only negative, if anything, but to to be expected, is that the musical acts and those sorts of things were blocked from our view um, because they give us the kind of the end zone seats. But that that's to be expected. I think I thought they knocked it out of the park. Chicago did hosting as much as they could. Um, obviously, you wish things I did um, that they were a little bit more centered, that you could walk more. And I thought Michael Jordan should have been featured or or something I, I was surprised at the lack of his presence but otherwise I thought they did a great job hosting how about you um yeah I thought it was fantastic and you know Michael Jordan not really that's not really his thing and, and there's also the whole uh, ownership factor and, and the fact that they don't really get along so I think that that was a part of it but uh and I'm with you I, I really would have liked more a more Jordan centric all-star experience uh you know first time that the all-star game has been back in Chicago since 1988 with the you know the famous dunk contest with Jordan I, it would have been nice to have you know a bit more of an homage to to Jordan the whole weekend but with that being said you know I, I agree with you I thought it was a really great weekend I thought the NBA really nailed all three nights and in particular I thought the the Kobe tribute uh and the David Stern tributes were all very tasteful and and, and really well done and uh yeah I mean it was a great great weekend but from my understanding, Indianapolis is going to make Chicago look like small potatoes. You bet we are. Yeah, because the, th the thing that Indy does better than anyone is host big events. I'm seeing it right now as I went to lunch just outside my apartment, and there were probably at least a dozen individuals from the NFL here um, just having lunch because the NFL Combine's taken over the downtown. And what you'll notice is you can really feel it, right? More than just a couple of billboards that I noticed in Chicago – um, you'll get the first-rate hospitality, and it'll feel like the event has taken over the whole downtown area. Now, given it's a little bit smaller, but that's going to work to our advantage as well because as long as the weather reasonably cooperates, you're probably never going to walk more than 
I don't know, half a mile, three-fourths of a mile to go anywhere. And that that is huge. I think I took 10 to 12 lift rides throughout the downtown and, and bus rides three miles away took 45 minutes. Not a criticism. It's just the reality when you have it in a big city versus a place like Indy that does it, um, in my opinion, better than anyone. Yeah, I'm really excited for that next uh, next year. And uh, I think it's going to be a good time. Soon, uh, after this Pacer season, we'll start seeing renovations to Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And so the fever are actually being put out of the building. They're going to play at Hinkle Fieldhouse where Butler is because it's a mad rush to get all these things ready for the next three years in terms of renovations. This next one, and I'll get into more of it probably in its own podcast, will be, I think, more the stuff that impacts the game experience better. New seats for everyone. Finally, some reasonable Wi-Fi. I know that's been a priority of ownership and things like that, so that will be good. Um, let's skip ahead now that All-Star Weekend's kind of a, a week and a week out and out of our minds a little bit. And from what we've seen, this Pacers team continued down a bad path. Is The biggest thing, Dave, in my mind is they just haven't been able to build on anything. There hasn't been any continuity, um, whether it's Victor coming off the bench, then starting, then having back spasms in New York and missing the game in Toronto. And we'll get in in it shortly. And now you have another change, a permanent change to the lineup. Um, what have you made of what we've seen from the Pacers this month where they just have not played any good basketball? Um, well, I mean, you just said it. They're two and seven in their last nine. And now they just lost Jeremy Lamb, you know, not just for the rest of this season, but probably for all of next season as well. Um, and, and that, I mean, it obviously stinks for him personally, but from a team perspective, I mean, he, he's important for what they've been trying to do. And, and I just don't know how they fight back from this. I mean, they, they pretty much have a playoff, you know, spot locked up. I don't think they're going to fall out of the playoffs. I, I think that they're good enough to, to tread water and withstand that, um, especially since they have a six and a half game cushion over Brooklyn. But, you know, when you look at the numbers from the last nine games in particular, there's one thing that stands out. And, and you know, opponents are hitting four extra threes a game mm -hmm. over what the Pacers are doing. And, and I think that this has sort of been a theme for the season. 33-point attempts a game just is not enough. It becomes a math problem. And, and you know, in this last nine games, you know, the, they're being outscored by about seven points. Yeah, that's this – this is a group, this is a team that their goal is 30. That's what they want to hit. Um, and that's not enough. See, I, I don't mind that as long as they're a decent efficiency, and that's where I'd point to because they've made barely 30% of those 31%, threes. 31%, yeah. Yeah, 30, and if that's— 31% is not going to get it done if you're not— This is why right. you've got to shoot more of them. And so it wasn't—I don't think it had been a problem the last couple of years when volume has gone up, mainly because their efficiency was there. They were, I think, second maybe in— efficiency and knocking down three-point percentage even though their attempts were low and that's one big thing Dave that's dropped off in this last month especially has been three-point percentage they've continued to be dominated on the boards and on top of that uh, opponents have shot well and that's that starts with the defense and their con their uh, connectivity if you will the connectedness to use a, a word that Nate McMillan often likes to repeat well, and, and that goes right back to your point about lineup inconsistency and the guys, you know, you, you lose that chemistry that you developed all year. And it, I'm not surprised that they're scuffling since Victor has come back because you are fitting. I mean, that's a very, very big piece that you're trying to fit back into your puzzle. And, and so some growing pains are to be expected. But to this degree feels a little bit extreme. I mean, 
you know, they're allowing opponents to hit 38% of their threes in the last nine games. That's not good. Yeah, that's the math I look at, Dave. When you're 30, shooting maybe 31%, they're at 38. That's where I have a big red, big concern, more so um, than the, just 30 attempts per game. Because, quite frankly, that's that's what this team is right now. At least the way their offenses run, they don't, they're not looking for more and more threes. They're looking for more efficiency. Absolutely. Um, the I, I let's take you through the locker room briefly, um, and and what's going on. Guys are down a little bit, obviously, as you would expect. Um, there's been some post game communication and good um, sort of conversations I've seen. For instance, like Miles Turner and T.J. McConnell having a long extended conversation after the loss in Toronto. Um, back to Jeremy Lamb, Jer- Jeremy Lamb, by the way, we should mention that. Um, just a, a de- devastating injury for him as he originally was hopeful that it wouldn't be anything that kept him out a significant amount of time. Uh, it was on a breakaway basket in the fast break, and Terrence Davis, a second, came up from behind him and didn't allow for a clear landing, kind of contested uh, a wide-open layup where Lamb, who had missed a couple layups, said he specifically wanted to dunk it because of misses around the basket in a game where the Pacers scored six points in the first, like, eight minutes. So he went up to dunk it and then kind of collapsed on that left knee. And it originally... I was happy for him in the in the aspect that he was able to pull his leg, leg around, and so he didn't land kind of on that ankle Achilles area. And you could tell the soreness and everything was bad, but we didn't know at all um, that it was this bad. A torn left ACL, a lateral meniscus, as well as a fracture, um, in too big of words in medical terms that I don't exactly understand. But basically saying this is probably at least a year-long injury that will keep him out. Um, he's at the first year of a three-year deal, and it's just devastating for him. And now leads to even more of a correction to this Pacers lineup, Dave. And so I think the thing we'll see now is Aaron Holiday permanently in the rotation, filling more of those minutes. But it also wouldn't surprise me for them to get a little bit creative uh, in their lineups because, for example, that second group, backcourt, a defensive backcourt of Aaron Holiday and T.J. McConnell most likely can't get it done. Um, yeah, I tend to agree with you there. I think size becomes a real concern. You know, the, the East is, it's got some really good big guards and you, you gotta be able to throw bodies at them. And, and, you know, unfortunately without lamb, that's one fewer guy that you can trust to guard. And this team is already struggling defensively. I, I, I just think it, you know, it's tough because I, I did, I did think that they had a good shot at making some noise in the first round of the playoffs and, and, this injury and, and the recent struggles is, is really starting to make me doubt him. Yeah, I would agree with you there. The fact that, uh, again, the key component in all this is the, the motivation advanced past the first round, something they haven't done the last four postseasons. They were swept last year, and I thought this would be the year that they could certainly move past the first round. And if everything went great, so not a high probability, but if everything went exceptionally well, especially with the way matchups fell and you meet the Bucks in the finals that would be the best case but obviously I don't see that happening now um Lamb wasn't a great defender good defender I thought he improved um most of it just came out of effort um both in terms of rebounding and his defensive play and uh, one big thing I'll be writing about soon Dave this week even hopefully if something else doesn't pop up is that the Pacers coaching staff ultimately decided to Try something new, try something fresh. Um, more than anything, just change things up. And so we've seen a lot of 3-2 zone, especially at Toronto. And it's kind of had mixed results, but most of the guys are in favor for it because it's trying to catch opponents off guard and, and just kind of getting them 
um, out of their routine, if you will. Yeah, the the lack of elite shooting in the East. Uh, has, actually, teams have been trending more into zone. I mean, Toronto was doing a ton of it last year. Brooklyn as well. Uh, we're seeing more of it out of teams like Milwaukee and now Indiana. I, I think that, you know, as long as you're not playing against big-time shooters, you're going to see more and more of that. It's a great way to steal a little bit of rest as well. And so let's since we're already going down this list, let's continue to answer some things. By the way, I just got the note, Reggie Miller will be in town this week as he'll be on the call for um, NBA on TNT Thursday as the Trailblazers are here along with Kevin Harlan and Kristen Ledlow. So I know Pacer fans will enjoy that. They love seeing their Hall of Famer back in town. Um, Well, that kind of answered one question, our first one from Twitter, that basically was what the hell happened. It's kind of been a lot of everything, mostly kind of just the change in continuity um, has gotten everybody out of the routine. So I think that's been the biggest issue. Um, Alex wants to know, should the Pacers bring in someone to help off the bench now, or can the holidays and McDermott be enough? I would say, um, Pacers are looking at their options right now, but I think mostly it'll be from within because again, their end game is to figure out what this lineup is for this year and moving forward and think about it. What is out there right now? That's a player that's not signed who is going to give you a substantial boost. I just don't see it. Yeah. I, I don't know that anyone is out there. The name. Not anyone who's going to contribute. I mean, I, I right. just don't know. You know, the, the buyout guys, they're, they're not really that many. And the number of buyout guys that actually make a difference are even fewer. And, you know, you, you can already look and see those guys basically already have a home. Yeah, and there's a reason for that because they're they're talented and they can they're they're sought after. Anyone without a job right now, there's a reason for that. And so this goes along with about seven of the questions I, we got today on Twitter and all of them basically saying, hey, would you sign Lance? What's your take on Lance and Indy? Um, should the Pacers look into them? So I checked in on this yesterday because it's an obvious thought, mainly because selfishly I'd like it because of the entertainment factor. It's a story you can write almost every game. He's going to do something crazy. He's going to entertain you. Um, and I think he would, in the aggregate, be a net positive. However, Again, that would substantially change the chemistry and roles, and you guys, you would have guys like Aaron Holiday that would then fall out probably, and you have to decide, is Aaron part of this team or is he not? Because if not, you'd move him. Um, so what I got back with Lance is uh, don't get your hopes up. It's not happening. Yeah, I, I, listen, Aaron Holiday had suitors at the trade deadline. He's a good young backup point guard. And he's on a good contract. And this team, you know, got some money going out this summer. So uh, that's a guy you want to hang on to, a contributor off the bench. And and moving him out of the rotation in favor of Lance Stevenson does nothing for you long term. If anything, maybe it wins you a game or two, but it's not getting you out of the first round of the playoffs. There's a reason why Lance is not in the league. What it's given you is a burst of energy. And they could use some of that injection right now, I will add. Um, and then a, probably some of a scoring punch. I think he's he's kind of accepted now what his role is, what he can add to a team. Um, the fact that he does not have an NBA job, that he has spent the first part of the season in China, and he's back here in the States spending some time, yes, in Indianapolis, um, working out at a local complex. But the Pacers haven't brought him in. They're not bringing him in for workouts or a tryout, so to speak. Um, he's just back in his familiar environment with his trainers and 
trying to stay ready because of that virus over in China. They they sent everybody home, so he's trying to stay ready. Um, he was actually at, I think, the first Lakers game after Kobe's death. He was at a recent Pacers game sitting courtside. Um, but that's mostly just because he loves ball and wants to be there. It's as simple as that, but I don't see anything happening. Next question here comes from uh, Corden. What has the feel been around the team with the injury to Lamb plus the rough stretch? Uh, does it still seem positive that things will turn around? I would say yes, absolutely, because I don't think they're very far away. I don't know how you feel, Dave, but I feel like they're just kind of a couple good wins away from being the boost that this team needs. Um, it'll take some time a little bit for them to come together, and I guess they don't have a ton of time with, what, 25 games remaining um and the other thing though in their favor is they have this big road trip coming up and generally I feel like those absolutely help a team because they're all you have your your teammates and your coaches that's all you have on these road road trips and you're not going to really leave the hotel much so there's there's certainly reason for optimism um now especially because you know what your group is for right now the key thing in all this in my mind is you need Victor to either be in or out um, because the constant of not knowing um, can really hurt a team and its mentality and players trying to, am I playing today? Am I in the rotation? How much will I play? That would nag at me. Yeah, absolutely. And especially because I think a lot of their issues on the defensive end are chemistry-based. Trying to work Vic back into shape, trying to work him back into you know what they've been doing all season. And it, it doesn't help them that Malcolm Brogdon and Sabonis have also you know, sort of ha- been struggling a little bit recently. So, you know, it- it's a confluence of events. In two weeks, we may feel completely differently. But right now, they stink, and, and hopefully they'll get better. And the good news is, though, they'll be soon headed your way. Uh, but first, a trip at Cleveland, although Cleveland just won. But that should be a win if you handle business. Um, game against Chicago, and then who knows with Dallas who's in and out of the lineup. So, it's relatively a good five-game road trip here coming up before the end of their schedule where things get really difficult um, ultimately to close the year. Um, let's see. What do you see happening with our two-way players giving, given Lamb's absence? It's a good note. Um, Brian Bowen's still not ready, um, especially if your you're guy's already on the roster. Guys like Alizé, TJ Leaf, and to this point, Aaron Holiday aren't getting significant minutes. You're not going to go to your two-way guys. Um, right. Naz Long would be actually kind of reasonable, although right now he has an injury. But we, I really liked what we saw from him during, I think it was a two-game stretch in November. And I would give some thought to maybe giving him some minutes, given uh, he pushes the tempo. What I really like about him, and I don't know if you've even spent time watching him. It was just a short burst day, but especially in that Brooklyn game, penetrated a lot, got into the lane, and created some action. His game very much resembled T.J. McConnell in that way. Um, yeah, I, I actually, you know, I would say I I would like to see more Alizé Johnson. I think what he's brought off the bench as an energy guy has been huge for them. Uh, I think they could expand that out a little bit more. And, and, you know, we talk about them struggling defensively. Having an active guy like that with with long arms that's that's not going to hurt you. So um, I'd like to see more of that. But you're right, like two way guys, expecting them to contribute on what's a playoff team, I, I think is a little unrealistic. Um, you know, they, they're they're longer term projects. 
Right. Again, it's not a knock on them, but the reality of their situation is that's why they're a two-way guy. They're still having to prove it. Now, you could argue they need the opportunity. Um, I, I think it's possible Nas Long gets some action, but he's been injured the last couple of months. He was with them on their trip to Toronto. That was kind of cool, a, a native of Canada. And so he was celebrated uh, by fans at Scotiabank Arena. But I don't see much happening there. All-star breaks are in the past, and teams have their sights set on securing their place in the playoff race. Over in college hoops, teams are jockeying for tournament seeding. So much action, so little time. And DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, can get you right in the middle of all the action. The XFL is back to scratch everyone's itch for football. Check out the DraftKings Sportsbook app to see what promotions they're offering on the most extreme league in the U.S. American-made DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app where you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code FAST. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has as a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. So don't forget, enter code FAST and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Indiana only. The bonus is comprised of first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times play through. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Corvin asks, any idea if Nate is safe this summer? Or the front office might want to try something new. You want to take this one first? What I mean, have you seen from Nate? Listen, I, I still think Nate is is one of the five or six best coaches in the league. I, I think that there's no doubt that he keeps his guys playing hard. And and this has been a season where they overachieved without their you know their star player. And I think you have to recognize that there are significant hurdles to bringing a guy like Victor Oladipo back. And dealing with, you know, guys slumping like they normally do. So, yeah, I I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be safe unless they've got some big-time coach that they feel like can take him over the top. But but let's be honest. The the issues are not the coaching. The issues are the roster. Yeah, if you want to— roster is what it is. I think if you want to argue coaching, there's a legitimate argument maybe to late-game situation. We saw that at the the, the first of the month, right, where they went on a six-game stretch where they basically led or were tied— in the final minutes and then collapsed. A lot of that's on the players. You could argue there's some plays or sets, et cetera, that could be run. I'm good with that argument. But if you want to pin this on coaching, um, this this poor spell or how the continuity, continuity has changed and, and these injuries, just like blaming these injuries on the training staff, that was just a fluke injury on Jeremy Lamb, just like it was a fluke injury on Victor Oladipo um, last year. The crazy thing is the fact that both of those fluke injuries have happened against the Toronto Raptors. Just a coincidence, but something, uh, a note as well. In terms of my perspective on Nate, um, I think it's certainly something you look at this summer. Um, He'll be entering the final year of his contract. um, That I believe the team has a team option for this summer. So, of course, you give that consideration, but I don't think what's a different coach were at best two or three wins. Maybe that's, that's right. not where the significant change needs to be made. It needs to be made within this roster and guys coming together. Well, and you have to know you're upgrading because, and guess what? That's really tough because Nate McMillan is a really good coach. So, you know, good luck with that. And I think that if you can, then you do just like you would with a player, you know, if right. you can, if you can trade, uh, you know, Demonis Sabonis for LeBron James, you do it. But can you? 
So I think that that's a big thing. I agree. This needs to be a situation if you do make a change. And I think they're a ways away from seriously considering that. Yeah, I agree. You need to have maybe a guy in the back pocket that you know you can get through through back channels. Um, Chung Wan Ching wants to know what happened to the development of Goga, Leaf, Alizé. They are struggling to get meaningful minutes this season. Several parts here. For one, there's just a lot of depth ahead of him. The fact that Aaron Holiday can't get minutes is telling because he's played good. He's earned a rotation spot, but Nate's one that, like most coaches, only wants to play, what, nine, maybe ten guys, and so there's going to be a couple guys on the outside. I don't think T.J. Leaf has deserved more playing time. Um, It's clear that the Pacers kind of wanted to move on, both for him, his sake, and for theirs. The fact that they were calling around trying to shop um, and find him a new home at the trade deadline. To no avail also tells you what opponents, what other teams think of him and his upside. He's just in his third year, so I'm not ready to quit on him. But that's why he's not playing. I think a lot would go for Alizé. We saw a brief stint of him, what, in Toronto. Um, I thought he was overmatched a little bit. He's an outstanding rebounder, uh, instant energy guy. Um, but oftentimes also, though, um, I think height plays a factor in that. He's a little undersized in terms of trying to rebound. Um, he's, he's working on a shot, though, so I think he's gotten better um, from that aspect. And then Goga is the most notable one, I think, out of this bunch, Dave, because going into the season, I penned him to play somewhere about 15 to 20 minutes. And right now, again, like the other guys, he's more so out of the rotation than he is playing significant minutes. Yeah, I thought Goga was coming in NBA ready, and it was clear from his first few minutes of action that he he wasn't there defensively. Um but the truth is, this is what happens with teams that are going to make the playoffs, typically. The coach is going to err on the side of the veterans, and they're going to get the bulk of the minutes. And, and, you know, let's look at what the Pacers are. This is not a team that's, you know, looking to be in the lottery. This is not a development year. I mean, certainly they want to see what they have. But, you know, this is a team that wants to win as many games as possible and, and do as well as it can in the playoffs. And the guys that are more likely to do that are the guys that have shown that they can. And, and so it all makes a lot of sense. And, it, you know, I understand that fans want their cake and to eat it too. But what team in the league competes for a playoff spot while developing young young talent? It just doesn't happen. I mean, you know, you look at the Spurs and what they've done, especially, you know, since they've had their partnership with the G League squad – their rookies spend a lot of time in the G league and that's where they're developing. And even second year players and, you know, Indiana's not doing a ton of that, but, but maybe they should, but you're not using NBA minutes to develop guys. I I just don't think that, you know, Indiana is a team that should be doing that. Yeah. You play, you play to win the game and save that for new Orleans, save that for, for, for the Grizzlies. And, And certainly those teams have been, you know, surprisingly good. And we can look at Miami, which, has been forced to play young guys, but their young guys are better than the Pacers' young guys. I mean, if Tyler Hero's in Indiana, we probably aren't having this conversation about him because uh, he's a shooter and he can really shoot. And, and, you know, same with Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn. So, you know, I just think when you look at the players that they have that are young, who do they deserve to play over? I can't come up with anyone. I don't think Alizé Johnson should be getting minutes over Demonis Sabonis. Yeah, it all goes back to the all-star debate, right, about – this guy should be in. Okay, so who do you take out? And nobody ever wants to explain. Oh, yeah, I think he's an all-star over this guy. Right now, there, you can't make an argument, I don't think, to play one of these other guys, say Goga over Miles or over um, Sabonis or or anyone else for that matter. So there's, do you there's only be 240 the de- minutes uh, on a roster in a basketball game. 
So you got five players in 240 minutes. You want to be the Detroit Pistons, not go to right. the playoffs, rarely win, or do you want to be the Pacers? You you take the Pacers every single time, and if not, if you rather be in that development, like you just said earlier, you have to change your whole culture. You have to change your probably coaching staff and the 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 mission behind each game. Where probably it's more like Memphis nowadays, where you're trying to develop the roster and you trade off assets. In fact, to get those guys minutes, that's not at all where this Pacers team at. Well, and, so that's and why you're listen, not seeing it. Let's let's just be honest about the whole thing, right? Like it's a small market. Are you going to continue to sell out the arena? Are you going to continue to do well on TV if you're if you're trusting the process? No, you know, like not here. Yeah, you are not. No. So you know, I I, I understand. That, that there can be frustration. But the truth is, when you've been consistently making the playoffs, you're not going to have a ton of young talent that needs time to develop. And this is why drafting a guy like Aaron Holiday, who was older and more ready to play, makes sense for a team like Indiana. You know, like I, I'm hoping that this summer, you know, leading into the draft, that that they're looking at guys from UVA, guys from Villanova, guys from Butler, guys from Gonzaga, guys from these schools that consistently win, that stay for multiple years, because those are the guys that are ready to come in and help a team like Indiana. And a direct reflection of that, too, is in your draft pick in terms of where you're picking. And so it did make sense several years ago, I think, to move the 20th pick to get an outstanding guy like Thad Young, a proven commodity. Absolutely. That you knew what you were getting versus drafting a, a TJ Leaf right around that spot, I think, at 23. Um, and so they're rarely, if ever, drafting you know top 15. And when they do, you have to hit like they have on, such as Paul George, um, Danny Granger, those sorts of guys. Yeah. Uh, let's move to this next question. Um, Brad wants to know, are the Pacers addressing the rebounding issue? It seems like every game we are getting worse at rebounding. Um, I, it's the number one issue. I wrote about it in training camp. I wrote about it last year. This team is just not a good rebounding group, but it's the blame does not go on miles. It does not on Domas, the, the obvious choices. Um, what we see on film, what Nate stresses to the team is that this is on the guards and forwards instead of releasing out or standing even in middle, many times they have to come back, go get the ball, chase after it. Because a lot of times we're seeing the bigs block out their man, but then it's another guy flying in for the rebounding. And so the Pacers, I thought had a good grasp of it for what felt like a couple, couple week stretch, maybe at the end of February, but then they've kind of relapsed back into their old spot. And so, yeah, one of the big issues all this month has been the fact that they're struggling on the glass. Um, yeah, I'm sure Nate McMillan is sick of saying it, right? Like, right. And, and I hate to laugh at this, but the, like the truth is it has been a problem all year and it's not like they don't want to be better at it. And it's not like Nate McMillan's not trying to coach them up to be better at it. It, it just, you know, it, it, it's just how it is sometimes. And they've got to be better, but maybe they don't. I mean, because they were doing fine while being out rebounded. I, I still think the rebounding issue may be a little blown out of proportion, and, and I'm much more concerned with their three point shooting and opponents' three point shooting. Yeah, just how they start the basketball game. Let's start there, right? Because you can't go into Toronto and fall behind whatever they did, thirty six to six, um, certain things like that. I think the question I I hate from um, fans oftentimes is after they see something not work to their favor is are they working on it? Are they shooting free throws after a bat? Of course they are. They shoot free throws and practice rebounding at almost every practice. It's whether it's honestly mostly in terms of rebounding. It's whether they're putting the effort and the focus on it individually, not from a team concept wise. 
Um, yeah, these guys shoot more free throws in a in a given week than a lot of people have shot in their lives. Right. The only argument I could make is at the end of practice, a lot of times they're doing these shooting drills around the arc. I feel like they need to put a, a hand in their face because these uncontested shots aren't realistic. The other thing I would argue is almost they shoot too many free throws because they'll in practice with, say, 25 makes each at the different baskets. But a lot of times guys are singing or – I'm not sure mentally if they're fully there, and if you get to that level, um, then I'm not sure any progress is being made, and you're better off not doing it at all is kind of what I see sometimes. Um, Illuminati wants to know, has Lance been working out for the team? I've heard he's he has, and he's been an indie. Kind of basically went over that earlier. Yes, he's been an indie some, not working out for the team. Do not expect him to be brought in. Um, probably nothing more to add there, Dave. Um, Jeff mm-hmm. wants to know, is Oladipo in a Gordon Hayward kind of timeline um, in terms of recovering his mojo, and I'll let you take that one first. Well, I, I think that that's not a bad way to look at it. I mean, this is a big injury, and, and you know, in general, one of my crusades has been our unrealistic expectations of guys returning from injuries. I mean, even simple injuries like ankle sprains, guys don't miss enough time; they don't come back one hundred percent. You know, they're coming back in two or three weeks. And it's it's a three to six month injury with a grade two ankle sprain. So, you know, something like this where he's coming off a major surgery, a lot of inactivity and, and a lot of non-basketball activity before he even got back on the basketball court, you know, and not even mentioning that's just the physical part. There's also the mental hurdle, mm-hmm. you know, being injured the way he was was non-contact. And, and I mean, getting over the fact that you could suffer an injury just doing what you've done your entire life. So, you know, yeah, I, I think that, you know, being patient with, with Victor Oladipo, and I know this was part of the Pacers' plan, you know, they were never expecting him to come out as all-star superstar Victor Oladipo from day one. Correct. But I think fans should also be patient with him in a way that they probably weren't in Boston for Gordon Hayward. You know, I, I think that paid off for Boston. You know, he's been fantastic this year. And I just don't see any reason why we shouldn't expect the same out of Victor once he's had some time. And again, it's not about this season. It's all about next year. You know, how's he going to look next October when he comes back for, for next season? You're exactly right. Because as I said at the beginning, I think of all this, they need we need to treat it like Gordon Hayward or even like Paul George. The fact that PG came back first six games, that was good, but that was basically for his mentals. Um, <laughs> that was basically so he would be able to get through a couple of games, know he had, and kind of move push, move past that point going into the next year. And so I look at this season, you just wanted to see him back out there trying to be in the flow of things. But I never had any expectation that he would resume his status immediately as the star or the go-to player late in games or those sorts of things. Any of that would be a bonus. But for him to be out there, knock down shots, um, kind of set up the offense, I think that's realistic of what you can expect from him for the rest of this year. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's see. One more, maybe? Doc wants to know, after our abysmal start against the Raptors, I'm curious about the idea that's that Nate's figure-it-out strategy may lead the team more consistently playing from behind, no matter the caliber of the team we seem to have. Oh, that's a long question. And I wonder how common this approach is. Um, I think basically what he's getting at it here is letting them play through issues, trying to figure it out. Um, maybe during a bad run, although I would argue that's not at all what he did in Toronto. He called, uh, I think, one timeout in the first three minutes, and by the five-minute mark in Toronto, he had used two 
Um, you could argue that you could make some substitutions, try to make a jump start on things that way. I don't mind that because I, I think you got to win and win or or lose. You're going to go down with that key group because if it's not the starters, I, I don't think I think very rarely are you going to bring in you know your bench guys, and that's going to yeah. be the difference for an entire game. You have all game long to make it up, and it's on the I put it the onus on those starters to figure it out. Well, also. The Toronto Raptors are a better basketball team, like by a decent amount. They're they're legitimate contenders for for a title. You know, like yep. I think they've got a real good shot at winning the championship, and the Pacers are just not on the same level. So I think this is a little bit of a case of of thinking too much about one game. You got to look at like this is why I like the nine or ten game sample. You know, you can look at the bigger trends. They don't always start poorly. But they're not good enough to survive when they do. And and that is sort of the hallmark of, you know, a team that, that has a real chance and a team that's just decent. And, and they're a decent team right now. They've got to figure things out so that when they scuffle, they can fight back. And that bench is not good enough that you could just pull your starters and throw the bench out there. I mean, I'm sorry. Like the NBA is a talent-driven league, and that bench doesn't have the high-end talent that that's, you know, like Toronto has. The one thing I have noticed here in this month is that pop, right? That that mojo that the second unit played with has been completely lost and everything since Victor came back. And I think that's one thing they'll try to recapture here because that that became such a fun group to watch, didn't it? Right? You had T.J. McConnell, Sabonis, kind of leading the way. McDermott, Justin Holiday, um, whether it was I think it was mostly Aaron Holiday, even some there. That group was fun, and they found a rhythm together. I can't remember the last time I, I've thought about that and, and seen them kind of get things going because that was a group that was not going to lose you anything, and they'd kind of, if at, at worst, they'd, they'd kind of keep things even while they were in there and not lose any ground throughout a game. So I'd like to see them recapture that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a must. A lot of things are must at this point after – uh, this disappointing stretch right here. They've lost, what, seven of their last ten games, 33-24. And 24, and uh, like you said, Dave, though, I don't think they're any, in any consideration to fall out of the playoffs. They'll probably stay right where they are in sixth, but you'd like to improve upon that. Um, any parting words here be- to end the podcast? We've covered a lot not, of ground on this one, I will say. Yeah, not really. Uh, again, just, you know, if, if Nate's listening, just have these guys shoot more threes. Come on. Five extra threes a game, and it'll make all the difference. It really, like, it's just a math problem at this point. I'm, this is one area where I think he is a little bit stingy on and, and stubborn on. and they, they don't want to force anything up. They're never going to be that team that comes down and just launches them. They want to take it. Their idea is to take it in the flow of the offense if the shot's there. Um, and that 30 is their magic number. So we'll see. Maybe that maybe that can be a difference over these next couple of games. We'll have to check back on that here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, uh, that will wrap up this episode of the Fieldhouse Files. As I mentioned in the middle of the podcast, Reggie Miller will be in town this week along with the whole NFL, basically, with agents and, and teams and everything because of the combined trailblazers, pacers on Thursday. But this was a fun podcast. A lot of good questions we got from you guys on Twitter. So thanks for uh, participating. That wraps up another episode of the Fieldhouse Files. For Dave, I'm Scott. Subscribe to The Athletic using our 40% off promo at theathletic.com forward slash Fieldhouse Files.